This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I speak with Ricky Shetty, who is a family travel blogger and the founder of DaddyBlogger.com, where he writes about parenting from a father's perspective. Ricky left his stable job in Canada when he and his wife realized they wanted to spend more time as a family and to allow their children to be world educated. This decision has led Ricky and his family to over 81 countries in six continents and they've become a lot closer as a family because of this decision. Today, Ricky and his family continue to travel the world and aim to be the first family to ever visit every country in the world. Listen on to find out how Ricky has been able to become a family travel blogger. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this interview with Ricky. Hey Ricky! Hey, Debbie, great to be on your show here today. I'm so excited to have you because you are a daddy blogger and you have created such an amazing brand with that. And you've been traveling with your family all over the world. You've been able to create this life that most people think is impossible, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you lead an offbeat life? Of course, of course. And I love how you describe my life as offbeat because it is definitely not very conventional. I'm not a typical suburban dad. I'm a digital nomad dad, a DND. And I'll share with you a quick little backstory. So I'm actually from Vancouver, BC, Canada originally. My wife's actually Filipina, so I know you have a Filipino ethnic heritage as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, mabuhay, as they say in the Philippines. So my wife's Filipina, and we have three wonderful kids. So we have a six-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, and then a two-year-old son. And a year and a half ago, we made a big decision that we weren't going to live the next 20 years of our life in a suburb, doing the two-week vacations to Disneyland or Mexico or uh, Hawaii. But we were going to live this life of adventure, following our dreams to travel the world, and showing our kids this amazing, beautiful world we live in, in terms of the languages, the cultures, the people, the food, uh, all the incredible sightseeing, the, the God-made beauty, the man-made beauty. So we wanted to show our kids this, not from textbooks, not from a school, not from uh, the confines of uh, four walls, but by actually taking them into the world. Uh, so we made a big decision and uh, we left Vancouver, BC, Canada on December 6, 2016. We have been nomadic for the last year and a half and we've traveled through Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Central America, South America, and now we're here in the Philippines and we're visiting my wife's parents who live here. And it's really good for my kids too because they're learning about the uh, Filipino ethnic identity. And I work online. I do things like private coaching. I do online courses. I have a, you know, you mentioned my blog, so I get sponsors through my blog. I'm also a podcaster just like you and uh, YouTuber, etc. So I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff online while I'm traveling too. So which is challenging, obviously, and we can get into that, uh, both the blessings and the challenges of working while traveling with kids. 
one of the things that people are afraid of once they start having children is that they may not have adventure anymore. But you were able to do that and you wanted to give your children that experience. And I fully believe that I work with children as well for my part time day job. And it's so important to really show children what real world is. And it's so amazing that you're able to take them all over the world and learn firsthand what different cultures are. And that also opens up their mind to so many different things besides just the people that they're with all the time in the same place. So that's a really great way to educate them. It is. I feel travel is the best possible education. We could have spent thousands of millions of dollars, uh, you know, in the best possible Ivy League private school uh, or just putting them in a regular public school. We could have done homeschooling. But I really feel the best way to learn about the world is to actually show them the world. And they're learning life skills. And, yeah, I mean, of course, they're learning things like reading and writing and arithmetic. and But they're learning the life skills like, you know, managing money and uh, connecting with people and socialization and uh, learning languages. And that's what they're going to need for the future. They're not going to need as much of the academic skills as the life skills. So I feel this, this is the best way. And, you know, we obviously are trying to figure out. And so now that we've started this journey, we definitely don't have regret. I don't want to look back at my life 20 years from now and say, oh man, I wish we'd taken a plunge. I wish we'd travel with the kids. And I want my kids to be saying, my mom and dad were great, but I wish we'd travel more as a family when we were younger, right? I don't want to live life with any regrets. So even though this journey, as you're going to be finding out on this podcast, is difficult and there are a lot of challenges, the blessings and, uh, you know, like the seeing the world through your kids' eyes definitely outweigh any of the struggles that also accompany, accompany this journey. Wow. I want you to be my dad now, Ricky. So <laughs> you guys... I can adopt you. <laughs> Please, yes, do it. So, Ricky, before you and your wife decided to have this offbeat lifestyle, what were you doing as a day job, as a nine to five, before you took this leap? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was already an entrepreneur. So back in Vancouver, I had become an entrepreneur about five years ago. And I was working as an event producer. So I would be producing small events, uh, workshops, and then also bigger conferences like multi-day, multi-speaker, like uh, three-day conferences with a few hundred people. And uh, I would I was doing that full time. And I was honestly quite discontent because I knew like if I stayed in this location-dependent job, I wouldn't get to travel. I actually handed over that company to a few friends of mine, and they actually still running events under my same branding. So here I am. I've left Vancouver, haven't been back for a year and a half, but the event series are still running even without me. While I was doing events, I was already working on internet marketing, even in Vancouver. I was doing things like coaching. I ha I've had my blog for like five plus years. Um, so I was already uh, like doing a side hustle back in Vancouver in terms of my regular event production business and then also my internet marketing side hustle. And I just decided to transition more into my passion, which was internet marketing, having that uh, money, the time, the location of freedom. I gave up the, the regular stable work for the unstable, uh, you know, <laughs> honestly, there's been there's been a lack of stability with income as well because I'm working with coaching clients. Sometimes I'll have a lot of clients, sometimes less. So there's a, definitely a roller coaster in terms of the income side of things here as well. And we're particularly focused on cheaper parts of the world. Like we traveled through Latin America, like Central and South America. We've been traveling here in Asia. You know, Southeast Asia is definitely much cheaper than back in my home country of Canada and, you know, in the U.S., 
um, or in Europe. So we purposely choose cheaper uh, areas to travel in just because we do have a limited budget because we're traveling as a family of five. And we're definitely not luxury travelers. We're more budget. We'll stay in like hostels. We'll stay in hotels. We'll do Airbnbs. We'll do homestays. We'll stay in digital nomad houses. So definitely cutting costs wherever possible so we can extend our travels for as long as possible. That is such a smart way of doing it. And for our listeners who are listening to you right now in your story, that is a great hack to be able to do this and do it in a way that is sustainable and you can do this for a long period of time. So choosing the right locations if you want to be a digital nomad or have the freedom to work from anywhere is to really choose the right location to do it. Yeah, avoid Switzerland, avoid Scandinavia, avoid London, Paris. Avoid Tokyo, avoid Singapore. No offense, no offense. I mean, of course, those <laughs> amazing cities. I've actually been to all those cities as well. But just in terms of the cost, I mean, of course, go to the cities. But just realize that if you go to the cities, you're going to be spending more. If you come to a place like Bangkok or Ho Chi Minh or even here in Manila, uh, you're going to be spending a lot less. So London, England versus Manila, Philippines, of course, one's going to be much more expensive in terms of everything than the other in terms of hotels, in terms of eating out, in terms of transport. And just the day-to-day lifestyle, the day-to-day travel will be much, much, much cheaper in Southeast Asia or Latin America or Africa. So, Ricky, when you wanted to transition from your business and your nine to five to pursue your dream to travel the world with your family, when did you finally realize that you were ready to leave and to take that step? Um, I, I really feel I was not ready. I don't think anyone will be ever ready. There'll never be the perfect time. There'll never be the perfect situations. Like we had three young kids and most people would say that's the worst time to be possibly traveling. You know, we weren't, uh, you know, fully stable with the finances. That's the worst possible time to be traveling. We had just bought a condo actually, and uh, we had the new condo. So you think we're going to be staying in this condo for the next few years, right? So I really feel this, the best time is always now, right? So uh, instead of waiting till the opportune time, like I'm going to wait till I have enough money. I'm going to wait till the kids are older. I'm going to wait until uh, we have better health. I'm going to wait till I retire my wife. I'm going to wait till I retire my parents. Like there are all these excuses of waiting, but I actually look at the waiting or the excuses as actual excuses. Because if you really want to do something, if you want to start a business, if you want to write, write a book, if you want to get married, if you want to have kids, you'll find a way. I mean, obviously there might be obstacles and finding a spouse and having kids and stuff like that. But in terms of starting a business, uh, writing a book, whatever dream you've had, like maybe learning a new language, There's excuses, you know, there's excuses. Oh, I'm too busy to write a book. I'm too busy to learn a new language. I'm too busy to start a new business. But you got to make a decision. I really feel it starts with a decision and you got to put it as a priority. So it's about prioritization in terms of uh, what's most important to you. So when I looked at a life, was owning a bigger house, a more expensive car, uh, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, making more money, hitting six or seven figures, was that really, really important or was exploring the world more important. So we're not making six figures. We're not making seven figures. And I, I don't know if we ever will, and I don't necessarily want to. I would rather live this lifestyle of exploration and adventure and make less money rather than li- live in my hometown, working like crazy, being stressed out, you know, hardly seeing my wife or kids and making more money. So I choose lifestyle over money any day. Having those experiences that looking back in your life, you know, 50 years from now, that you really lived it to the fullest 
We're never going to be as young as we are right now. So if we keep pushing it off, we'll never do what we want to do. Because like you said, there's always going to be an excuse to do it. So and there's always going to be obstacles. We're always going to find different obstacles that are going to come along our way. But it's just a matter of you actually taking those steps. So you are such a great person to look to for this, Ricky, because you have a family. You know, you don't have one kid. You have three children and a wife. And if you can do it, a lot of my listeners who are young and single right now, you can do this as well. (laughs) Yes, so true. That's true indeed. Ricky, what is the one thing you wish you knew before becoming a freelancer and becoming a digital nomad? I wish I knew how bad the Wi-Fi would be in different parts of the world. You know, I, I had a home office back in Vancouver and in my home office, I would be like uh, doing interviews, I'd be doing coaching calls, I would uh, be, uh, you know, doing YouTube, social media, and I never had issues. You know, every now and then I might have a few hiccups and glitches, but man, when we left the confines of the home office, when we left Canada, and we started traveling Asia, the Middle East, Africa, and all of a sudden I was doing calls, and like uh, the calls would start dropping, uh, I would sound like a robot. Uh, they couldn't see my video because there'd be like uh, glitches and I would have to cancel calls. I'd have to delay them. I'd have to be very creative and resourceful in terms of finding the internet. That has been so, 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 so frustrating because my entire business rises and falls based on the internet strength. And, uh, you know, like even here in the Philippines, it's an amazing country, but it doesn't have so amazing Wi-Fi, especially outside of Metro Manila, the capital. So when you're up north, like I am right now, uh, luckily here we're doing an audio interview. But even earlier today, I was trying to do video interviews on my podcast. And I actually, I'll tell you a quick little story. What I did is like in my hotel room, I wasn't able to get on to the video streaming because it was just too weak. What I ended up doing was going near the router and then there was a fire hydrant in the stairwell and actually perched my laptop on the fire hydrant, which was right right under the router, and then boom, it was the perfect spot. It's like kind of like when you picture like back in the day when you had a TV or the cables and you're trying to like adjust the antenna to make it work. Well, well the modern day antenna is uh, Wi-Fi and routers and modems. Uh, so you got to figure out like so many variables that will make the internet work. Firstly, is the time of day. How many other people in the internet? What's the weather like outside? Where's the other person you're connecting from? And you got to have backups. So like I will, I will have the first is obviously where I am in terms of the Wi-Fi. It could be a hotel, a hostel, digital nomad house. It could be a co-working space. Uh, so I'll rely on the Wi-Fi there. But then I'll have something called a plug and play. A plug and play is basically a device where you can plug it in and have internet no matter where you go. And there's also something called a pocket Wi-Fi. So pocket Wi-Fi is a little device you pay in advance, then you put a bulk sum on it, and you can connect to the internet that way. And then um, my fourth kind of backup will be having my data on my phone. And I, and if all that fails, I can uh, go to a local uh, restaurant or cafe. Something I've uh, found uh, that works really well is internet cafes. So here in the Philippines, I sit in an internet cafe doing like business coaching call where uh, clients are paying me. And there's a room full of teenagers playing the latest video game. And it's quite funny. I'm doing my business. I'm looking around. There's all these like 15 to 20 year old uh, Pinoys, Filipinos, and they're all playing their video games. They're shouting and screaming. And then I actually show my clients. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, take a look at this. Can you guess where I am? And they actually, they laugh at it and they're amused by it. They're like, man, you are committed to finding good internet, even if you have to hang out with 
uh, teenagers playing video games. That's probably been the biggest challenge and the thing I wish I knew. But now, like I told you, there's some solutions and I figured out how to be creative and resourceful. So anyone who's going to be traveling the world and working as well, you might want to consider all those backup options, like getting a local SIM card, getting a pocket Wi-Fi, getting that plug and play device, and then looking where the local internet cafe is and the local co-working space. This is the reason why Ricky is able to do this, because he is absolutely determined. So <laughs> he found a way around it. There, there's so many challenges. I mean, there's the Internet challenges. There's the, like language. When we traveled to Latin America, we, we knew a lot of friends back in Vancouver because Vancouver is quite multicultural. There'll be Latinos there. There'll be Brazilians, people from uh, you know Mexico, et cetera. And all those people in Vancouver all spoke English. They might have a, like a Spanish Latino accent. But when you go to like Brazil, when you go to Argentina, Chile, Paraguay, uh, Uruguay, these places, like most of the people don't know English. So you're going to have so many frustrations. Even in China, like China has probably been one of the hardest places I've ever traveled to because not only is the communication different, but the actual written language is different. Uh, yeah, definitely there's so many other frustrations like uh, language and culture. And I say frustrations because I like to kind of um, show that uh, they're going to be the struggles and difficulties. But actually, I look at those frustrations as actually things to learn. Like I ended up learning uh, Spanish and I ended up learning some Mandarin, right? Because then I could kind of understand, okay, not everyone in the world is going to speak English. You know, there's a country with like 2 billion people who speak Mandarin. I better learn some Mandarin. They, you know, there's a whole continent with people who are speaking primarily Spanish. And of course, in Brazil, Portuguese, I better learn some Spanish, right? So it really shows you that, uh, you know, when we're living in kind of North America, we're used to English, or if we're living in, you know, Australia or New Zealand, English, right? Most of the world is actually not speaking English as their predominant native mother tongue. It's funny, one of my friends who I used to travel with, what he used to do is take pictures of things that he usually needs, like the bathroom or food or different types of food that he needs or wants. And then whenever we would go to a country that he didn't speak the language, he'd just show them images of what he wanted. <laughs> and it, it worked most of the time. <laughs> So aside from the language barrier and the internet connection, what has been the biggest setback that you have encountered throughout your whole journey, Ricky, and how do you usually handle them? You know, one of the other uh, challenges we faced is uh, because we're traveling with kids, one of the things we're wondering is like, okay, of course we're worried about their health. Are they going to be staying uh, healthy? Are they going to get diseases? We make sure that the vaccine, vaccines, et cetera. But we're also worried about like safety, security, like, you know, uh, people mugging us or robbing us. But the thing we weren't 100% sure of that would affect us is the socialization of our kids. So back in Vancouver, of course, they had their, their common friends. Every birthday party, you would see the same friends coming for their first birthday, second birthday, third birthday, fourth birthday. But when we were on the road, like we've been traveling for a year and a half, all of a sudden we had to celebrate all three of their birthdays, right? And they don't have their common friends anymore. So we faced the dilemma of, okay, we're having a birthday and we don't want to just do a limited birthday with mommy and daddy and your siblings. So we had to be, again, we had to be creative there. So what we've been doing while we're traveling is we're actually volunteering at different orphanages. So we work with a company called SOS, Children's Villages. So they're an international orphanage. Uh, they have orphanages pretty much in uh, 100 plus countries around the world and they allow uh, you to, to stay there sometimes just for free in return for volunteering like teaching English doing some arts and crafts connecting and you know babysitting the the orphans there they might actually either you do it for free or you have to pay uh, paying is just paying for your room and paying for uh, the food that you're being provided or make a donation to the charity so when we're staying at these uh, orphanages 
of course, the orphanages are full of children. So we try, we try to time our stays so that uh, we can do a kid's birthday party with the orphans. And this is obviously a great blessing uh, for the orphans because they get a huge celebration. Uh, you know, we'll do a cake. We'll give them some goodies and, um, you know, some, you know, food as well. So we'll provide that uh, to the orphanage. But our kids will really understand, like, wow, these orphans, they don't even have a mommy and daddy. And they might not even do uh, big birthday celebrations like in McDonald's or Jollibee or, you know, like back back home, right? So this has been one of our biggest struggles is like how do we socialize our kids and how do we school our kids, right? So we've been doing things like world schooling, homeschooling. Uh, we even uh, have tried to do, put them in uh, traditional schooling here in the Philippines because we're going to be based here until December. So we've been trying out different models uh, in terms of the schooling and educational element. And of course, like how do we make sure that they have constant stable friends? Because as adults, you know, we can meet at a hotel, we can meet at a restaurant, and then we can just stay connected to social media. Well, kids, they're not on social media at under 10, right? So they need those friendships. So I would say we haven't fully come up with a solution, especially if we stay nomadic. It's probably better that we're going to like settle in a place like for a year or two, then they can at least have their stable, consistent friendships. But I would say that's probably, I don't know if I want to call it the unsolvable problem, but that will be a difficult problem to solve because, of course, friendships take time energy, effort, consistency. And if you're traveling, you don't have those elements. So that's been a challenge for us as adults, my wife and me, to keep our friendships. But we do it through social media, through Skype, Zoom, uh, Google Hangouts, uh, WhatsApp, etc. But especially for kids who don't have those features that we do. What about the concerns from your family members and so forth with what you're doing now with this lifestyle? You know, um, at the end of the day, I thought the biggest judge of our lifestyle would be others. But actually, I think the biggest judge of my lifestyle is myself. I keep questioning, like, is this the best possible future for my kids? Is this good for their friendships? Is this good for their schooling? Is this good for my, uh, their education, right? Like, I'm always questioning the decisions we make. And I, I'll question those decisions even if we stayed in a hometown, even if we are nomadic, even if we decide to be expats somewhere, right? I'll, I'll, uh, but in terms of our family and our friends, like, most of my friends and family have been super, super supportive. Like, my mom and dad, they'll be the first ones whenever I post pictures of our, uh, you know, their grandkids, our kids, right, on social media, exploring Machu Picchu or exploring, um, you know, the rice terraces, exploring, uh, we went to an um, animal safari in um, South Africa. So when we're doing these amazing adventures, like my mom and dad are always the first ones to like it. And they're so excited because uh, they probably have a little bit of regret because they didn't take me when, when I was young traveling as much. They took me on little road trips around British Columbia or to the US, but they didn't do this crazy adventures that we're doing. So they might have, uh, I don't know if it's a regret, but they're like, man, you know, our son, He's done something that we didn't do for him, and uh, he's uh, creating a great future for his for his kids, right? So they see it's been um, you know it's been positive for my marriage, it's been positive for the kids, it's been positive for the family unit, and uh, of course, like uh, all our friends on social media, they'll be they'll always say the same thing. They'll say things like, "Man, you're so lucky." Oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, I hope I could do that one day. Or I'm going to put that on my bucket list. I, I want to use the word strangle. I, wanna, I almost want to strangle them and say, you can do it. You don't want to hope and wish and dream. You don't want to just put it on your bucket list. If we can do this as a middle class average family, you know, we're nothing special. We've never won a lottery. We've never got an inheritance. We are just doing it. We're figuring it out. We've run out of cash. We've figured out solutions. Uh, we've, um, you know, we've had our difficulties. We've had fights in the road. Our kids throw tantrums. Our kids have, uh, you know, a sibling rivalry and 
those issues are going to be with us no matter where in the world we are. So what I would say to people who are kind of considering this lifestyle too is at least try it, you know, maybe try it for, for three months, six months, a year. And if you like it, obviously you can keep going. And if you don't like it, there's always back home. You can always go back home. You can always get a job. There'll be jobs aplenty no matter which city, country, continent you are in the world. I would say try it out, see what it's like. And, you know, ask people like myself who've done it. And, you know, there are people who are going to be much more real like myself who just share as like transparently and vulnerably what challenges we've had, right? So I think uh, talk to people like that, listen to podcasts such as like yours, Debbie, uh, my podcast, Digital Nomad Mastery, where I interview like uh, digital nomads as well. And equip yourself, but there won't be enough learning you can do rather than learning yourself. The best learning is experiential learning, right? Not listening or watching but doing right so do it and then figure it out as you do it we usually are our worst enemy and our worst critic so again you're always going to be questioning everything and if you just go for it it's going to happen everyone can do this it's just a matter of you actually taking those first steps to do it you have talked to a lot of people along your travels a lot of your friends and family and even strangers what has been the worst advice that you have ever received <laughs> the worst advice I've ever received is like, you know, like the advice a lot of people give you, especially in entrepreneurship is focus, 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 focus. You'll hear that over and over and over. And, uh, you know, the acronym focus stands for follow one course until successful. And what I found when I've interviewed all these digital nomads, they've been like about 480 episodes, almost 500 right now. And most digital nomads, they actually don't follow that approach of that one income. They actually follow the approach of the multiple streams of income. Like don't put all your eggs in one basket. A lot of them are doing private coaching. They have online courses. They might do affiliate marketing. They might have a blog. They might have a podcast, a YouTube channel. They might do some social media marketing, graphic design, logo design. They might do some uh, e-commerce, things like Amazon, or they might do some app development. They might actually work uh, remotely. So... All the digital nomads I talk to, like almost all of them don't follow that that focus model. They follow like the, the I call it the octopus model. So you're an octopus and you're reaching out with your tentacles, grabbing money, income, uh, you know, uh, providing products and services. And one product might be Kindle books, right? So one tentacle will be selling your Kindle books. One tentacle will be your online courses on Udemy or Thinkific or Kajabi. One tentacle will be doing like private coaching or masterminds or group coaching. One tentacle might be a membership site. One of the tentacle might be e-commerce. One of the tentacle could be a social media uh, marketer or uh, SEO marketer, right? So I think one of the worst advice is like just focus on one thing. I feel uh, the best model for digital nomads is the multiple streams of both active and passive income approach. So thanks for asking me that question, which almost stumped me. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was able to ask you that question, but it didn't stomp you, Ricky. You just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> almost stumped me. You work from everywhere, and I'm sure it can get very difficult to stay productive, especially when you're traveling and also having three children. Can you share one productivity tip that has worked for you? You know, one of the things I've had to do is like uh, sometimes I've had to take some Ricky time away from my wife and kids. So because, you know, when you have your wife and you have your kids and like the kids are always screaming and wanting something and like mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. And they're like, you know, my kids names are Ryan, Ryan, Renzo. They're like, Ryan hurt me. Ryan stole my toy. Renzo's uh, being bad. Right. So that is so frustrating as a dad or as a mom who's trying to be entrepreneurial. Right. So I'm actually right now I'm in the midst of uh, my book launch. So I'm doing 
seven books about the seven continents in seven months. So I've already released my first first three. I released uh, North America, South America, and Europe. And my next four are going to be uh, Asia, Australia, Africa, and Antarctica. So for these books, I've actually had to ask my wife. I'm like, honey, I need to get away from uh, you know this this kind of the chaotic home environment we're in here in the Philippines and just get away for a few days to finish my book. And my wife's been super supportive and she's let me, you know, go stay in a hotel for a few days. And I just stay wherever, you know, like, especially when I'm traveling alone, I'm ready to stay in like a, like a dormitory or like a, a single room for like, in the Philippines is like, you know, you can get a, a dormitory like for five US dollars. You can get a single room for like 10 to 15 US dollars, right? So I just stay in a cheap place and I'm by myself and I'm just sitting in my desk working, getting the book done, uh, doing the research and, uh, having that solo Ricky time. And I think it's actually better because when I go back to my wife and kids after a weekend away or like four or five days away, I'm actually a much better husband. I'm a much better father because then I'm not stressed out. Oh, there's the book deadline. I need to do this and this and this and this. And my mind isn't on the book or whatever project I'm working on. My mind can be more focused on the quality time with, you know, having date nights with my wife and hanging out with my kids and playing with them, doing puzzles with them, reading to them. Right. So I found that's been really good to have the Ricky time. But not only do I have the Ricky time, my wife's name is Anne. She has the Anne time. So she likes hanging with her friends. Uh, she likes uh, doing arts and crafts. She likes doing handicraft stuff. So I let her do her stuff. And, uh, you know, I'll hang out with the kids. And I'll have the Ricky and kids time. And then Anne will have the wife time or not like the solo woman time, right? So uh, she can get massages, she can get pedicures, manicures, the hair done, right? So it's really good as parents to allow your spouse to have the freedom to pursue their interests, their passions, and, you know, their hobbies. And that's been really good in terms of productivity, kind of allocating in my calendar, uh, Ricky time, and then date time, you know, like my wife and me will at least try to do a few dates per month. We try to do weekly, but sometimes it's not as easy to do a weekly date night. So we'll try to do at least a, a dinner out or a movie out or going out and just uh, chatting as a couple, uh, you know, kind of dating your wife, the concept of uh, dating your husband or dating your wife. So I would say uh, kind of prioritizing your calendar, the solo time, the couple time and the family time. How were you able to finance this chosen path that you have and how do you continue to create income today? Yeah, so the, the financial question will be the big question that every digital nomad, every entrepreneur will face. So I followed a four-step uh, method for my own digital nomad journey and I want to teach it to your listeners and audience here today. So it's the four S's and it's to save, to sell, to get sponsors and to get a salary. So the four S's and this is exactly what we did to finance this trip and to continue to finance our, our travel so we don't have to stop broke and end up back in Vancouver, right? So um, how do we finance the first part? Definitely, uh, we were saving, like we, we were saving, but also have your travel fund. And a lot of people don't have a travel fund. They have like the, uh, you know, the day-to-day -day expenses fund, which is paying off the mortgage or the rent, uh, paying off, you know, like uh, whatever the bills are. Then maybe they might have an emergency fund just in case uh, you lose your job or whatever. But most people aren't allocating a certain amount to the travel budget. But I would say start there, uh, you know, uh, maybe put aside $20 a month for your travel budget or $50, $100. And like say, just use a round number of $100, right? Over the course of a year, if you save 100 a month, that's going to be like $1,200. And $1,200, you can buy a flight pretty much anywhere around the world. So that will allow you to obviously pay for the, the flight. And then if you're considering doing like more of a longer term and you're making a decision around selling, because there's a few things you have to consider. Firstly, if you own a house, um, you got to consider whether you're going to uh, sell the house you're going to rent it out in terms of renting out short-term or long-term, right? So 
we had made a decision that we didn't want to stay in Vancouver for the long term. So we decided we weren't going to come back and live in Vancouver. We might, we would obviously come back to visit and, you know, spend the summers there. But I'm not a big fan of the Pacific Northwest in terms of the raininess and gloominess of the winter. <laughs> so because of the, the rain factor, we're like, and also the cost of living is quite expensive in uh, Vancouver. We made a decision to actually sell our home. And that obviously, when you sell your home, you're able to use that lump sum to fund probably anywhere from six months to a year plus of travel uh, without actually having to work at all, right? Especially if you have a home and you paid off the mortgage and the price have gone up and you're able to uh, flip it and make uh, decent income, right? So you might make, you might make 50000 100000 just off the home sale alone, right? So um, it's the saving, the selling. Uh, the third angle is the sponsorship angle. And we haven't talked about this. And I know you're going to do extended interview and uh, we'll talk about that more in that segment. Yeah, make sure to listen to the extended interview with Ricky because he's going to talk about how to get sponsorships for your blogs. Yes. So I'll do the extended in-depth elaboration of it in the extended interview, but I'll quickly give you a summary. Basically, sponsorship means that if you have a travel blog or if you're a social media influencer, and I feel that everyone can have a travel blog and, you know, you can build up your audience. It can be quite niche. It could be like solo female travel or couple travel or travel with pets or, you know, LGBT travel or family travel or family travel with young kids or, tra- you know, family travel with a big family. Um, so figure out kind of your niche, right? And um, based on a niche, you can actually start reaching out to tourism boards, travel agencies, travel companies and getting them to sponsor even flights. Uh, Even uh, sightseeing attractions, uh, tours, getting sponsors is obviously going to cut your costs. You've got to consider the big cost of travel, which will be your flight and your accommodation. If you can cut off your flights through things like travel hacking, this is another way to actually help cut your costs. It means getting uh, credit cards, which uh, will accumulate points and miles, and you can um, redeem those points and miles to get cheap flights. A lot of like uh, extreme travel hackers, they'll get flights across the Pacific, across the Atlantic for less than 100 US return. You know, sometimes like I see these travel hackers and they're like, I got a flight from New York City to Jerusalem and back for like $34. I'm like, what? Mind blown, right? So I'm not a huge travel hacker. Uh, it takes a lot of math and skills and knowing what credit cards to sign up. Uh, so you can look at, for example, the points guy. Uh, there's a, gr- a great uh, podcast called Extra Pack of Peanuts. Uh, there's one called Zero to Travel. So these guys teach travel hacking. So you might want to kind of do more research into that. And uh, the accommodation, obviously getting those sponsored will help as well. So moving on to the last S, which is uh, the salary. So I would suggest uh, not relying on savings alone to fund your trip. If you do, you'll run out of money and you'll end up broke or with very little money and having to go back to a regular job. So with the day and age we live in, obviously you can uh, use the power of the internet to make money. So you got to basically create products and services to sell. One of the easiest services to create is a coaching program. Most of us have a skill set, we have an expertise, we have a knowledge base, and you don't need certification necessarily. Like I've never become certified as a coach, but because I have a lot of experience in the area of like internet marketing or blogging or social media or you know, you know now family travel and being a digital nomad, I'm actually able to coach people on my area of expertise and experience. Uh, so if you have a particular skill set in, um, you know, for example, 
uh, stock trading or, or e-commerce or uh, maybe you have a, a skill set in overcoming depression or overcoming a mental disorder. Well, you know, other people are going to be facing those challenges and you can coach them in that. Maybe you've become an entrepreneur and other people are not entrepreneurs yet. Well, you can coach people on how to be entrepreneurs, right? So I would say definitely uh, maybe starting off as a coach. But I would also say uh, maybe creating things like um, online courses. That's pretty fairly easy to do. You just sit in front of your laptop push record and just record yourself talking. And you can sell those on places like Udemy, udemy.com, there's thinkific.com, there's Kajabi, uh, there's Teachable. So there's a whole bunch of sites where you can create online courses and sell them there. Um, you can do things like social media marketing, you can do graphic design, logo design. So just monetize your skill and make sure it's an internet location independent skill that you can do through internet. Of course, you can do things like ESL teaching as well or language teaching generally. Uh, you can do that both like, for example, if you're North American, um, you know, if you're a native speaker from England or any of the English speaking countries, you can go to places like Japan, Korea, Taiwan, China, the Middle East, Latin America, non-English speaking countries and teach them English in terms of physically in a classroom. But you can also teach English virtually. There's a great company called VIP Kid. They hire native uh, teachers to teach Chinese kids English through the internet. So you can do that, right? And uh, I know a lot of uh, my digital nomad friends that are teaching English uh, to kids in China and they're traveling the world. So there's a whole bunch of creative ways. The other creative way you can make a salary while traveling is if you're working for a company and you're working in things like IT, um, you're working in um, accounting or admin or programming, uh, any kind of uh, job that is more internet-based in terms of uh, working for a company, you can ask if they will allow you to work remotely. Maybe not full-time for the whole year, but maybe they will allow you to work remotely for two months of the year or um, you know, like uh, while you're traveling. And you can test it. You can say to your boss, can I try this out? I'm going to be working. Uh, I'm going to go on a vacation anyway for two weeks. Can I try working and traveling and seeing if it works? If it doesn't, of course, then you can uh, scrap the idea and come up with the entrepreneurial idea instead. But that's the whole idea of remote work. And, you know, there's obviously a lot more, but those are the steps I would follow. Uh, firstly is to save. Secondly is to sell. Thirdly is to get sponsors. And fourthly is to get a salary or multiple salaries. If you're not asking, you're not getting it. So if you are in a job right now where you could technically work remotely, you should ask your boss to be able to do that. That could be a really easy step to do it. And I love the four S's that you have there, Ricky. So let's fast forward to 50 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? You know, in terms of legacy building, like I want to leave the world a better place for my kids. That's the easy answer, right? But in terms of my personal mission or something I want to do as a family, we want to be the first family in human history to travel, to visit and volunteer in every country in the world. So there's actually 193 United Nations member states. We also want to volunteer. So we don't want to just travel for the sake of vanity and checking off things from our bucket list. But we want to give back and impact the communities we're in. So, of course, volunteerism, things like what we're doing, staying in orphanages and teaching English and uh, just making an impact there. I think that's something we want to do, at least volunteer once in every country we, we visit. And, uh, you know, in terms of legacy, I want to definitely um, build strong kids. So let me tell you a little bit of a backstory about myself. But basically, um, my mom and dad, they actually had a terrible marriage. They ended up divorcing. I ended up becoming a, quite a broken child. I was voted most shy in high school. Surprise, surprise. Now I'm quite sociable and I love speaking, podcasting, you know, being an influencer. But I was actually a shy, broken kid. And I had to do a lot of inner healing. I had to do forgiveness, uh, dealing with my past 
all these kind of issues. So my big mission actually is to build strong fathers, marriages, and families, period. Because I really feel if we build strong families, we build strong marriages, we build strong fathers and mothers, we build strong kids. If we build strong kids, they, build, they become great adults. And then we don't have all the problems. Like, you know, in the U.S. is all this gang violence problem and uh, teenagers going to schools and killing people. Uh, you know, people say, okay, gun control is a solution. I actually think the family unit's the solution, you know? That's countercultural, and, you know, people might be like, what? It is the family unit, you know? That kid who goes in and shoots all these kids, he or she probably has some kind of dysfunctionality in terms of the childhood. Uh, so my theory on this whole solution to a lot of the world's problems is by building strong families. So my little part in making the world better is to be a better father, a better husband, and raise a strong family myself. That's my legacy. I love that legacy, and I think every parent should try to achieve that legacy as well because every child needs a happy home and a home that they can really thrive in. Let's get to some fun questions. Some people like myself, I nerd out on interviewing inspiring people like you and hiking. What about you, Ricky? What do you nerd out on? I nerd out on the latest movies. I, I love going to movies and just escapism. You know, I love Marvel. I love DC. And uh, I love just going to a movie theater where you're eating some popcorn, you're watching a movie, and you're not worried about the stresses of life. So I'm a big movie junkie. If you were given a one-minute ad slot during the Super Bowl that you can't sell with the potential to reach millions, what would you fill it with? Uh, I would talk about my message of building strong fathers, marriages, and families because I know most of those people watching the Super Bowl will be dads. Dads who are similar like Homer Simpson, lying on the couch, rooting for their favorite sports team. I'm going to tell that dad, get out of the couch and play your own Super Bowl. Your Super Bowl doesn't have to be watching the Patriots and the Giants. Your Super Bowl is to raise a strong family, right? So that would be my, my, my message. The same message I live now would be the same message I live to the Super Bowl audience, my blog audience, the podcast audience. It's all resonating. My personal mission, my business mission, and the Super Bowl uh, commercial. And you have the best audience, like you said, to do it. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. What is the most unusual job that you've ever had? And what was the best thing that you've learned from it? I was a sandwich artist. I told you earlier that I was a shy, introverted uh, teenager. My first ever job was a paper route, but my second kind of official, official job was working at Subway as a sandwich artist. Being a sandwich artist at Subway, like uh, just finishing high school, entering university, really, really, really opened me up. Because uh, if you have, like if you're listening, watching, if you're a shy kid, or if you're shy yourself, getting a job as a waiter, as a bartender, as an English teacher, uh, as a doing something like customer service, working in a supermarket or a store, working in a you know, fast food outlet will force you to break out of your shell and become more confident and more sociable. So that's my big tip. You know, get a job that will force you to be sociable if you're a little bit more of the shy, introverted uh, persuasion. Having traveled to so many different places, what has been the most life-changing meeting with a person that has ever happened to you? Man, the life-changing meeting, you know, like besides meeting my wife, of course, because we met like in Vancouver. Uh, you know, I met a guy named John John and I want to give him a shout out. He's actually... Uh, you know, a Filipino too. We have this Filipino theme here on the show. But I met him in Santa Monica in California when I was in my uh, early 30s before I got married. I, I ended up staying with him through a website called Couchsurfing, couchsurfing.com. And uh, he was so hospitable, so generous, so caring. He opened my eyes to like hospitality and kindness, not wanting anything in return, return. I left him in uh, Santa Monica in California and I was like, okay, hopefully we'll see you sometime in the future. Well, you know what ended up happening to him? He ended up moving to Cape Town, South Africa for work. Uh, and then, you know, I ended up going back to Vancouver, getting married, having kids, and then uh, 
we ended up doing this travel. And when we decided to travel, we're like, we got to go to uh, South Africa. So when we were going to Cape Town, I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, John John, remember me back in the day from Santa Monica? And he's like, yeah, Ricky, how are you doing, my friend? We haven't talked in so long. Uh, he's like, you're coming to Cape Town? Well, you can stay at our place. So this same guy who hosted me as a solo backpacker in Santa Monica hosted us in Cape Town. He gave us his like uh, master bedroom uh, for our whole family. We all slept in this king size bed. He slept in the extra bedroom, and uh, he was such a blessing to us in, in South Africa. You know, that's just one story. There've been literally dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of stories of like people we met like so randomly. People who've helped us and blessed us, and like, uh, uh, like it actually gets me a little bit teary eyed because like uh, so many people have helped us. Like in the Middle East, like you know, there's kind of this stigma like Muslims are terrorists and all that. Muslims are actually some of the most friendliest, kindest, caringest people in the entire world. I've been to Syria, I've been to Jordan, I've been to Turkey, and man oh man, the Muslim people I met there, uh, they, they welcomed me into their home, they gave me the tea, they gave me the love, and they're so unlike the American Western media portrays them to be like. So shout out to my Muslim uh, brothers and sisters in the Middle East, because I love them to death. They've been so hospitable, so, so kind. Being Filipino myself, I know Filipinos are very hospitable, and they will literally give the shirt off their backs and they're super friendly so i'm not surprised that john john gave you their master bedroom and then he's sleeping in the other bedroom and i can also relate i have traveled when i was a photojournalist to the middle east a lot and muslim people are really honestly the one of the friendliest and have the kindest hearts that you can ever meet traveling is so crucial to experience for yourself because otherwise you'll just believe everything that you hear and most of the time it's really not true so you have to experience it yourself so ricky is there any question that you wish people asked you more of yeah i definitely think uh, people need to ask more about these kind of like what are the challenges you face ricky because i really feel social media is so much of a false reality no matter where you live in the world we all put the good stuff on social media right we don't put the fact that we're depressed we don't put the fact that we had a fight with our wife we don't uh, put the fact that we're struggling financially we can't pay off our bills i wish people would just more open about uh, the fact that uh, their vulnerabilities because I am, as you can tell by this episode, I'm quite vulnerable, quite transparent, willing to just share anything and everything. So when I'm like that, it allows permission uh, to others to be like, man, if Ricky has all these problems when he's traveling, he's married and has kids. Like I fight with my wife, uh, you know, so I wish people would not only ask me about uh, the struggles I face, but also be more about their own struggles. Really, that's how people are able to connect with you when they see your struggles and you become more human and more relatable that way. So it's so important to do that because like you said, life is not like social media. It's not perfect. I mean, we want to give you the beautiful pictures because we want to inspire you, but there's so much more underneath those pictures that you do not see. So always remember that. Ricky, what are you working on today that's really exciting to you? So, of course, I'm working on uh, the, the book series, the seven books about the seven continents in seven months. I, I'm also a big advocate of personal branding. So I've had daddyblogger.com for the last five years. I've also branded uh, myself at rickyshetty.com. That's a new website that's launching. I'm launching a 12-month coaching program where I take people in terms of the whole journey as an entrepreneur, uh, in terms of personal branding, creating their mission, vision, values, figuring out who their avatar is, figuring out prospecting, uh, you know, and then going into the whole marketing side of things, things like email marketing, social media marketing, podcasting, YouTube marketing, getting into the media, 
And then finally, the whole monetizing angle, things like uh, creating your own coaching programs, creating online courses, creating Kindle books, uh, doing affiliate marketing, uh, getting sponsors, etc. So I, I've created a whole one-year program, and I'm going to be launching that soon as well because I've been coaching people mostly on like shorter term, you know, like three months, six months, private one-on-ones, etc. But now I'm developing more like annual programs and more higher ticket items too. Uh, so those are some of the projects I'm working on. That's so exciting. Now, if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Of course, of course, uh, daddyblogger.com is what I'm known for. But as I mentioned just now, rickyshetty.com. And if you're interested in being a digital nomad, it's digitalnomadmastery.com. Oh, thank you so much, Ricky. I really appreciate all of the tips that you gave us. And also make sure to listen to Ricky's extended interview because he's going to be talking more about how to get sponsors through your blog. So I'm really excited about that. Thank you so much, Ricky. And as they say in the Philippines, salamat. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Ricky. Make sure to visit TheOffBeatLife.com. Again, that's TheOffBeatLife.com to find out how to get sponsors for your blog. Hey, Offbeat family. I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I would love to hear more from you and what you think of the podcast suggestions on guests topics we can discuss or maybe you just want to be friends why don't we chat some more on facebook at the ob life or send me a message at hello at the offbeatlife.com i can't wait to hear from you